Hi, I'm Rob Shear. I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, author of the book, A Forever Family, but most importantly, I'm the father of five children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a radio host and now the director of communications for Comfort Cases. Our country's foster care system is shattered, and the podcast is about how we, as a community, can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today, we are so excited to welcome J. Paul Daritani. He is an attorney, an activist, and an advocate for children in foster care. He's the founding partner of Daritani and Kozner in Chicago. He was named one of the top 10 attorneys in Illinois, and he currently sits on the board of Human Rights Watch. In 2018, his firm won a $45 million settlement against the child welfare system for the wrongful death of a young boy who was in the foster care system. Jay wrote the script for the movie Foster. Boy, which is produced by Shaquille O'Neal. So, Jay, we have a lot to talk about today. Thank you for being on Fostering Change. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you guys. So, Jay, I have to tell you, um, I'm pretty excited the fact that not only are you an attorney, okay, which, by the way, um, I have some friends who are attorney, and that is a really busy job and a lot of stuff that you're doing, but you're also a writer and an actor, and that is like, is so, so my first question is, what was your first passion? Oh, wow. My first passion. My first passion was probably writing and acting, you know, and, but it was the eighties. I hate to give up my age so easily, but, um, I guess I am. And I went to Michigan State University and at the time everybody was either becoming an MBA or a lawyer. And I felt like, you know, I, I also love politics. I should say that. And so I decided to go study free law and then go to law school and sort of continue to study writing and acting and being having a toe in it, but, you know, I, I pretty much for the last, for the first 20 years of my practice, devoted most of my time to the law practice. And now I'm lucky enough to be able to, you know, do both. Well, yeah, that is, that is kind of awesome. You know, it's, I, I think, tell people all the time. So for 27 years, I was a banker and um, literally sat behind a desk. And for 15 years, I was an executive as a CEO. And now I'm a, a public speaker and an author. And I'm like, gosh, I never thought that I would be able to have an opportunity to do both things that I love to do. Um, and so now I meet somebody like you and you get to do two things that you absolutely love to do. You know, I, I want to yeah. dive, I want to dive immediately right into the connection of foster care, because, you know, for me as a kid who grew up in the system, having five kids who are in this from the system. Um, what was that draw for you to go towards foster care? Well, you know, that's a great question. And, and I didn't initially think that much about foster care. I probably, like, worked with so many other people, just thought, oh, it's, it's a good system, it seems reasonable. And, uh, but then, and you know, I handled cases involving medical neglect, and we still do our firm, Dad and I do medical neglect, or uh, I had children's cases, uh, but I didn't have any foster care cases. And then one day, a lawyer called me and said, I have a case, and I don't know what to do with it. Let me send it over to you. And it was about a, um, three children, unfortunately, in a home that uh, they brought in a foster kid who was 16 and was older, and he sexually and physically abused all of his children. And at first, I didn't know what to do with it. I, I, I didn't know what kind of case to bring and so forth. 
And then I started getting some records, sort of uh, figuring it out, and I realized it was a non or I'm sorry, it was a for-profit foster And it struck me as odd. I'm like, what do you mean for-profit? How could we have for-profit foster care? Then I started realizing uh, that Buffalo was a myth, or no records, fought me on it. Whenever the opposing side fights you, you know that it's important. And I discovered the 16-year-old had a history of sexually and physically abused half sister, a uh, nephew, another child in the home. He was very violent. He had a severe diagnosis of mental illness. And they didn't tell the foster parents And they knew it. So that's when I decided to do that case, and we won, and it was a beautiful family. And then uh, I started, and then I thought, well, let me write an article and talk about how you how you can prosecute these cases in the civil court. And I did, and then, uh, you know, I started doing more and more of it, and then I just became really um, intertwined with so many of these kids' stories. And now I represent about uh, 20, 30 different kids, and I've done pro bono work for it and, and, and other work um, for different charities, including First Star that I'm involved with that helps uh, foster kids. So, you know, it, it was not something I initially had thought about, but now I'm absolutely yeah, you know, you t- you talk about for-profit agencies, and you know, it it blows my mind when I travel the country. The number of for-profit agencies that we have, and we have the the number of kids who are aging out of the system and becoming homeless, um, and we have for-profit agencies. And you know, I say I, know. I, I say this quite often, and I and I say this to our listeners. I've said it in interviews and on TV and stuff. I'm not sitting here to bash the system because the system bashes itself because it's a shattered system. Um, but if you truly want to see why the retention rate is so low for, for good foster parents is because of the system, because of the system. You know, um, and, and I truly believe that if we were to support our foster families more, educate them more about children that are entering their homes, um, I I think we could see a totally different outcome than what we're seeing where only 54% of kids in foster care are actually graduating from high school. Absolutely. And what about the, 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 about 35 to 40% of foster kids as they age out wind up within three years dead, homeless. Or in jail. I mean, and this is America. This is not a specific right that we should um, raise. This is something that we should be fighting against. And, and part of the problem is these companies, most of them for profit, some of them not for profit, it's not really watching out the success interest, that aren't doing the work that they're supposed to be doing. And then the regular foster care system, the DCFS public system, isn't sufficiently funded. No, I, I agree 100% with you on that. So I have a question, and, and either one of you can probably answer this, but for our listeners, too, what, how do for-profit foster care agencies make their money? So how, how does the flow of money work that they're actually making money off of the backs of these kids? Oh, Dana, I'm glad you asked that, because that was one of the biggest discoveries I made in that, that case I was just talking to you about, was that, and it, we talked about it in the film, Foster Boy. A lot of times these agencies have it set up where they get uh, a certain down payment, if you will, from the state. So they might get $20 million, $30 million from the state they have in the summary system. But then they get paid on top of it per placement, at least that's how it used to be. I don't know if they're catching on and changing that. But in Texas, Illinois, and other states. So what this meant was that if a child was placed and the placement failed and then 
he had to be placed again, that agency actually got incentivized by making a failed placement. Now, I'm not saying that they would deliberately make failed placements, but certainly there was no real incentive to do a great job, was there? I, it just, to me, when I saw the contract and I saw that, my God, they're getting $3,000 per placement, and they could have the same kid place four or five, six, seven times, which is obviously so uh, traumatic to a child to be placed and then replaced and then rejected and placed again. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's the system that uh, so many companies uh, entered into with uh, DCFS or different states. And you know what? The fact is, is that it's still being done that way. That's crazy. I mean, I I did not know that. It's still being done that way. I mean, and that's why I feel like, you know, when I see, you know, here, your movie that's getting ready to come out, you know, um, Foster Boy, and I I read all these articles and I I visit, it is still being done like that. You know, I... It certainly seems like it. And, you know, there's no other answer for it. I mean, I will tell you, I, I... will not say the agency's name. Um, one day I will, as you know, but what, I'm not going to say the agency's name, but I was asked to go and speak at an agency. And I was like, of course, you know, as, as a public speaker, I will go. And I go to this function, and I'm not kidding you. I mean, this was bigger and than what our gala is for our charity at Comfort Cases. And so I'm starting to be Mr. Nosy, and I'm asking questions and asking people and come to find out they had a budget of like $330,000 for this event. Event, mind you. There were not kids from the system in there. There were not, you know, social workers that were all being there. Um, There was this event and it was and, and I was just shocked because I'm thinking to myself, you know, I was that kid who aged out and had to sleep on the street. You know, I was that kid. Wow. Um, you know, I was the kid who, you know, was just hoping that someone would look at me and say, wow, even though you're 18, you're still a kid and you should still be getting services. And, you know, and I saw this happening. I'm telling you, this was only a year ago. So it wasn't like it was 10 or 15. That that's what we're seeing, Dana, in our system. It's unbelievable. You know, and, and, and you could maybe uh, argue, I would argue that no for-profit would be okay in uh, prison. That was a big debate. We know about this. I think it's not a good idea. I think disincentivize again, prison care or prisoner care and rehabilitation. But it's a totally different thing. And it's so much more frightened when you're talking about children who haven't committed a crime who have only been born into the wrong family. And you're right, right? When you're seeing these kids who are on the street, and, and I see them even in Chicago on Lower Wacker Drive, you see all these kids in another homeless or they're, or, or they're you know, between homes or, or whatever. And they don't have a proper place to stay, and they don't have the food to eat, and they don't have any support system, especially when they're 18, 19, 20. We don't even have a real good transitional system throughout the United States. And yet, these companies are, like you said, they're only food fall and benefit. And in the case that I'm picking up, the, the one agency or organization, the for-profit, they were run by 11 guys, I should say 11 white guys in New York, who made billions and billions of dollars and were talking about going public. And I don't know if they ever did go public. I, I, I can't really mention their name either because I was barred from doing that because of a, a settlement when they put a non-disclosure in there, which I hate. 
But, you know, we, we do see a, a total hodgepodge system where we have for-profit organizations that are taking advantage of it. Yeah, they really are. And and the fact is, is, you know, you you know it, you know it, Jay Paul, just as well as I do. The only thing that we have been doing for year after year after year is we graduate these kids from the system to the penitentiary. That's it. Yeah, yeah. 30 percent, 30 to 40 percent. Or they're I'm, dead within three years. Or they're homeless. Yeah. And, and, and what does it say when we put a, a young man or young woman out on the street when they age out and they put, we also put this stuff in the garbage bag? What do you have to tell that person? You tell them that they're garbage. Yeah. You know, I truly, I I tell the story all the time. You know, as a kid who carried a trash bag, I used to feel I was disposable, invisible. Nobody cared about me. And then when my children, my beautiful four babies arrived in my home and all four of them had trash bags. And I remember looking at the social worker and I said, are you kidding me? I said, after all of these years, and I was in the systems back in the late 70s, um, early 80s, I said, after all of these years, I said, we still allow kids in the system to carry a trash bag and her exact words to me were well what should they carry and i was like how about a little dignity you know and then the craziest thing is is last fall we had our fifth child arrive and again we had no intentions jay paul to have uh, another kid four kids (laughs) let me tell you four kids we have that was that was plenty and by the way as you know because you you represent these families you represent these kids these kids come they do come with baggage and they come with baggage and there's no support out there i'm just going to tell you that right now as a family who deals with four children now five kids from the system these kids were in the system because of choices other people made other people made that's why they're in the system and they suffer what the, the things these my baby suffer from because of other people but when my son last year i was giving a speech at a local high school and I met this young boy, um, and he wanted me to sign his his book. And um, I asked him. I said, "You know, tell me something about yourself. What's your name?" And he said, "My name's Alex." I said, "Tell me." A, I said, "Tell me your story." He says, "I don't have a story." I said, "But Alex, we all have a story." And he said, "Yeah, mine's going to be just like yours. I'm going to end up homeless because I'm aging out of foster care." And I really, oh, wow. I mean, I've met thousands of kids, but this one kid just hit me like a rock. I went home and I told my husband and my children about him. And the next thing you know, um, by December. We were the first couple um, to petition the courts to have it be to be guardians over Alex because we didn't want their stipend because, you know, I, I think my opinion, I believe I understand it costs to raise children. I'm raising five of them, one in college and one's a girl. Could you just imagine? Um, and so I know how costly wow. it is to raise my, my my children, but I believe that some of that stipend needs to go into an interest bearing savings account for these children. I agree. I agree. You know, we had a presidential candidate talk about giving uh, everybody in America a check, right? I, I, I forget his name now. Um, I like him a lot. It's an interesting idea. Why don't we at least give each child or young man or woman, I call them child, children because they're 18, give them $5,000. Our country can afford so much. We, we waste so much money. It wouldn't be that hard to give kids that are aged out at least enough money to have rent for a year or be able to feed themselves and help them open it up. We don't even have enough position. And you guys, have, you guys are at the forefront with regard to providing bags and things for kids. And I think that's terrific. I am well familiar with this, your, your program. And it, it, it gives a child dignity, gives everybody dignity. And that's what we need. 
that's what they need. As much as love, and they need that. As much as education, they need to feel a sense of self worth. You know, Jay Paul, to me, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous that we even have to have a charity like Comfort Cases. It's ridiculous that billions of dollars that are in the child welfare system, and we can't even provide the basic necessities for children who are entering the system. I mean, um, I, I one day you and I are going to meet. I know we're going to meet face to face. I know it. I know it. And the one thing I'm going to look at you is I'm going to look at you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a big smile. And I'm going to say to you, you see my beautiful pearly whites? Because by the way, my teeth are beautiful beautiful. They cost me an arm and a leg. They cost me an arm and a leg because no one bothered to do something as simple as give me a toothbrush, a toothbrush. And I see that in the system. I mean, I I have a daughter. She is now 16. She is my queen. And when she arrived in my home, we were her third foster home, third foster home, by the way. And she'd only been in the system for six months. And when she arrived in my home, she had eight cavities, eight cavities at the age of four, because no one had bothered just to brush her teeth. This system is shattered. And it's painful. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, that's, I, I had one of the kids in the foster care system, you know, that I was representing. Same sort of thing. Had the teeth were rotting out. I think they had some sort of um, gum disease. I forget what the name of it is. And um, she was, it was rotting out. Nobody had taken her to a dentist. And I mean, she, her mouth unfortunately looked like somebody who was an older lady or something. It just. It's unbelievable. It, uh, it is really unbelievable. So let's talk a little bit about this movie, Foster Boy, because yes. I'm really excited. First of all, I'm excited with the cast. Um, I, I, I've been seeing, you know, who you, I mean, they, they great. you have, how did you get um, Louis Gossett Jr. in there? And I'm, Shaquille O'Neal is the producer of the movie. Crazy. So how, yeah, how did you, how, what just hit you that you were like, okay, I'm going to write this script. And then how did you end up getting this amazing cast to be involved? Well, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to our casting director and that's Robert Ulrich um, and Alex. They, they both were excellent uh, casting directors, but you know, I, we, we had gone out, and I won't give names, we had gone out to one or two other people. We didn't have a big budget. We, initially started with a $2 million budget. And to get big stars, you know, you, you're not going to pay them uh, nearly as much as they would make in a 10 or 20 or $30 million film. So we went through a couple people, and it was about money. But then finally, I, I said, what about Matthew Modine? I said, I've always liked him, and I feel that he is, Underrated. I feel that he's like a, a really good actor, and I saw him in the A's movie years ago, and I've seen him in uh, um, the Vietnam movie years ago. Forgetting names right now, I don't know why I'm forgetting that. But um, and he's such a good actor, and I said, why don't we go to him? And you know, the casting director's like, I don't know, he's pretty big too, but let's see. So we made an offer to him, and he said, I read the script. Sent a message back. I read the script. Normally, I wouldn't work with it. Love an amount of this talking. So yes, I'll do it. And it was about the car. And then but once we anchored it with a good actor like Matthew, it was also easier to get other people. But again, Lou Gossett Jr., probably one of the kindest, sweetest uh people I have ever met. He's so kind, he's so warm hearted, and a brilliant actor, obviously, from uh Offspring a Gentleman. And, you know, Amy Brenneman from Judging Amy, she's in the the film, same thing. Great to work on the film for, you know, the, the lower budget film wages. And 
they just all agreed to climb on because they're they're really good people. And I got to tell you guys, I'm sat with them. You couldn't have had a, a more wonderful group of people to work with. They, not, no big egos, no, you know, go get me my coffee right now and it has to be perfect or you're fired. None of that sort of, they were just, um, there was a lot of love in, in, in the making of film. And I'm just so proud of the actors, the, the job they did. And then we got Shane McGee. That's an interesting quick story. Uh, we interviewed, we wanted to get the best possible. We felt like we wanted to get a new actor. And Shane was relatively young, um, pretty much not too many years out of high school. And we auditioned, I think, a thousand people, narrowed it down, narrowed it down, brought it down to three, and then we picked Shane McGee. And I, I feel like he is the next Denzel Washington or, uh, you know, uh, Tom Hanks or any leading actor. He's really going to be a brilliant leading actor in the future, and he is. He's still the show. He's fantastic. Oh, I'm excited. I'm really excited about about watching this. You know, um, it's it's definitely um, during a time as we all know we're in the COVID time and and the pandemic. Did you consider at any time to push the release back as so many other movies did? Yeah, we did talk about that, and then um, we were we were done with the film and. <laughs> Here's my first big film. I mean, I had a smaller little film before that, but this is my first real big film, first uh, uh, production. And, you know, I, I started to feel sorry for myself. Oh, boy, here we go. Now we have COVID. But, you know, at the same time, we, we just readjusted things and we decided to, to make it a safe um, coming out, so to speak, so uh, release. So we have it a day in, day out, which means we have it at, the, at some of the theaters, and then we're going right to the VOD. So we're doing, um, and, and we got creative with the theatrical release. So we're doing some drive-ins in Chicago. We, we're, we have an outdoor theater in L.A. And we have, um, uh, I think, another drive-in in Atlanta we're working on. And so we're, we're, we're making it COVID-friendly. And we're doing no, no Q&As, no red carpet in the traditional sense where people uh, you know, me, because, you know, the stars and especially Shaquille, everybody rushes them, even if you tried to keep people back. They just uh, love a man, and they would rush it. So we can't really do that. But we're doing it by, you know, same as everybody else in the world. We're well, doing, you know. That's pretty exciting. Is there any way that you can tell us the 10 places that um, we that's going to hit theaters? Oh, my gosh, Christ. I knew you would ask you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a list of them. From, let me look while, I, while we're talking. But I can tell you that it would be on our, probably our website, which is fosterboy.com. We're also at Instagram is at fosterboyofficial. And then Twitter is at fosterboymovie. And Facebook is at fosterboyofficial. And I think if I click right now to fosterboy.com, I should be able to find uh, well, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm pretty impressed with the number of awards that this movie has already received. Um, you know, and I mean, I'm I'm on your I'm on the Foster Boy website and listen again, everybody. I as you listen to this podcast, I'm telling you, um, it, you definitely you need to see this movie. Um, I I one thing I'd like to like to you to ask answer my question is. 
Do you feel now that the movie is done and again, I know that you wrote the movie and stuff. Um, what do you hope to, besides putting a good movie out there? So I know that answer. What do you hope happens that moves people to action when they walk out of the theater? Um, I hope that when somebody walks out of the theater, they say, what can I do now? So what can I do can be in so many different forms. It can be, I want to be a foster parent and I want to change the system. So, you know, a couple may re- uh, remove one of the 450,000 children in foster care. That's hysteric. Everybody counts. Um, it may be that they get involved as a CASA worker, CASA worker, and that is a worker that helps, that's basically a guide for the foster child through the court system. Right. We know we've had, we actually had a CASA that we interviewed um, and she was amazing talking about her experience and the kids that she's worked with. So we're familiar with CASAs. We love them. Yeah, I I do too. I think, you know, they're irreplaceable, Um, especially in the system where we don't really have, we don't have a lawyer assigned to every kid. We don't have um, a uniform system of justice for these children. At least they are the front lines for the kids. So CASA workers, are important. And, you, you know, it's a couple of months of training. Anybody could do that. Um, anybody with a heart, with a little bit of gumption, can get trained as a castle worker and do that. You could also just simply write your legislation and get involved. And um, as we do, if we keep, you know, again, more and more voices that are heard, just like with what's going on with race in America today, it's because we're hearing so many voices that we're going to start seeing change, God willing, we hope. So I think with everything, when when our voices collapse together, that's how we make change. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful that we with this film and even with the, you know, your movement, my goodness, uh, with the film Into the Family, with with enough advocates out there, we can make change. So there's so many ways that people can get involved. And again, go to fossilfoy.com. I think we'll have a list of it. Um, and you mentioned Bryce uh, Awards. We, we've won 18 awards from the different uh, film festivals we've been at. And the only reason we stopped the film festival is because it closed. So uh, we, uh, we had to go. We had to. We couldn't go to Dallas or Boston film festival because COVID happened in March, and they were scheduled for end of March, early April, I think. Well, I absolutely love it. I'm excited. I'm so excited to see this movie. And, you know, I've already signed up for to receive notifications. And I, I told you when we first started, you know, I've been following this on Instagram. Um, I'm just I'm thrilled to death. I really there I I've really have been waiting to for this kind of movie. And the reason I for that is because as a father who is raising four black children from the system, um, I I really feel that we need to tell more of these stories. And as you said it, and Dana and I talk about this quite often, you know, the whole reason that we do this podcast is because we want to educate our communities. And by the way, our community is not our zip code. It's our human race. We want to educate our community about foster care because at the end of the day, the kids do not belong to me. They don't belong to you, Jay right, Paul. Right. They belong to us. They belong to us. And in... 
Yeah. And what I don't want to see is I, I'm tired of seeing the statistics where all the only thing we do is graduate him from the system to the penitentiary. Well, listen, I am absolutely starstruck and so humbled to meet you. I, I hope that you and I stay connected. I can't wait to see the movie so I can tell you. Um, by the way, I believe constructive criticism is the best criticism anyone can give you, but <laughs> I know I'm going to love it already. Um, but, you know, I, well, I want to hear, you know, let's hear what your thoughts are. I hope you uh, can watch it soon. I'm trying to, we're actually getting the times and locations now. I can tell you in um, Chicago, it'll be out September 24th at the IMAX theaters. Um, I pick, I'm sorry, I pick theaters in Bolingbrook and in Barrington, and then another theater in Wilmette. But I think if you Google Foster Boy or go to the website in the next day or two, you'll know more about it. Well, I will definitely keep on top of that. And as we end this in this um, podcast, you know, again, everybody, I please go to fosterboy.com. Um, follow them on social media. We, we know what social media does for people. Spread the word about this movie. I would love to see this movie nominated for even more and even an Oscar because I think that will bring light to the foster care system as we need. I talk about this quite often. I nobody can ever give me the name of a first lady who has ever taken up foster care. And so um, I, having a movie like this be nominated for an Oscar could truly open up so many people's eyes. So listen, you know, Jay Paul, we always end our podcast the same way with all each and every guest. And that is we have a question for you. So, Dana, take it away. If you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? I would change. Uh, the transition system, so that when kids get out of uh, the foster care system or age out at 17 or 18, depending upon the state, they have a place to go for the next three years. That would be one of the biggest things. And then, well, if I were uh, king of the world, I guess I would say that nobody can have children until we all take care of all of the children we have on this earth, even in, or at least in the United States. I would say in this earth. But since I'm not king of the world, um, I would say that uh, if we could remove privatization of foster care, in other words, we need to have a foster care system based upon social workers, and in, in, it could be DCFS, but give them a fair wage, make sure that they're licensed social workers and educated on the subject, and so that they can identify uh, the needs of foster kids and help lift them up. Because if we lift those kids up, we are listening up. Powerful. Gosh, yeah. You know, that is... Love it. I don't know if that was... That was spot I don't know on. If it was just one answer or two answers. No, it was perfect. It was perfect. Let me tell you, we... This is our 50-some um, podcast that we've done, and we have... I really... I... if. I'm going to write another book or I'm going to get Dana to edit. But every single question time we ask that question, we get such different answers. And I have to agree with you on every single thing you said. First of all, I would absolutely, you know, if the the over 100,000 kids who are waiting for home where parental rights have been severed already, um, find them a forever home, a true family that truly will love them, support them, love them unconditionally would be the such a huge, huge thing. And I agree with you when it comes to our child welfare system. I mean, it is, I, I say this, I write about this. It, 
there's when something is broke, I tell my boys, hey, listen, by the way, go get the super glue and daddy will put it back together. But when something is shattered, we have to rebuild it has to be rebuilt. And the system is shattered. It is absolutely shattered. And it is it is time that people like you and I stand up and say, you know what? Stop making money on the backs of kids. Stop making money yeah. on the backs of kids because that's exactly Amen, what brother. that's exactly Amen. what they're doing. Well, listen, Jay Paul, I hope you and I stay in touch. I am absolutely again absolutely. so so happy to I'd love to forward to reading your book, by the way. Oh, so. I can't wait. So definitely make sure that you reach out. I'd love to get you know, to hear what you think. I wanna I wanna hear it all when you if you once you read read my book. And again, take care. Um we will be pushing this this movie um on and on and on because I think everybody needs to watch it. So please stay in touch. Dana, tell everybody where they can actually listen to our podcast. So our podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Deezer. And you can find all the links to everything you need to see. We'll also put the Foster Boy boy trailer there at uh, comfortcases.org slash podcast. Well, perfect. Well, thank you, everybody. Continue to do what we all need to do, and that's for each and every one of us, is to be a good human. Take care. Thank you, Jay Paul. Take care. Thank you. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.